So John chapter 20, 19 to 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is a faithful witness to our Saviour and Lord, what he has done for us and for all people. May the words that we're reflecting on today embed themselves in our hearts and our minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Some people think uh, that everything is in motion. And not just big and small material things, like the cosmos and quarks, uh, but social and political things, you know, like economies and countries and tribes and groups and families and couples and relationships, that, that it's all in motion, that everything is in flux, that reality is less like a fixed object, less like a rock, uh, and more like a fabric in the wind, you know, a fabric where the various weaves of life are constantly kind of moving, blown every which way, sometimes touching, sometimes not, sometimes folding in on themselves or each other. And while there might be patterns in all this movement, these different waves of life, it's impossible to definitively say what they are, as we just can't see the whole fabric of reality, right? We're not God. And yet we scramble after this or that weave in the fabric of life on our way to death. <laughs> uh, one weave or another that we can imagine we can give, uh, can give us purchase on what is real. Maybe the weave of studying hard to get a good job, to make money, to live a good life. Maybe that's the weave that we're focusing on. Uh, Or the weave of finding a lover, to get married, to have kids, to have a good life. Or uh, the weave of working hard to have a big house, to maintain a lifestyle you hope is the good life. Or the weave of making sure your kids have all the opportunities and options to set them up for the good life. Or the weave of pursuing the good life of pleasure and adventure in small purchases and big holidays. Maybe you're uh, tying in a few of these weaves together. No. But let me ask you, are you happy? Would you say that you're deeply satisfied with your life? That you're fulfilling the whole point of your existence? That everything is in its right place. Honestly ask yourself that. Perhaps you're a little bit like me. Where things are moving, something's always happening, but often it's fairly pedestrian and trivial, and it's a whirlwind of them, right? One after the other, certainly always on the move, but never really feeling like you're going anywhere. Just going through the motions, constantly shooting, but never really hitting the mark. Ever feel like that? This is just me. Wouldn't it be nice to know where to shoot? 
to know which way to turn in all the busyness and all the bustle of life, to have a meaningful direction, a true north, that's not only orient- orientating but satisfies our very humanity. Well, I reckon our passage this morning offers that kind of direction and purpose. Big call, but I reckon it does. But first, uh, let's recap on where we've been so far in the Gospel of John. Jesus, he's been crucified on a Friday, dead and buried. And very early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene comes to Jesus' tomb. It's empty. She races off to tell the disciples. Uh, when Peter and John here, they fang over to the tomb and they find it empty too. They go home, but Mary sticks around fretting where Jesus' body has been taken. Two angels appear in the tomb and then Jesus himself appears to her. She thinks he's the gardener uh, to start with, but he says her name. And Mary recognises him, clings to him. But Jesus tells her to let him go and instead to go and tell the disciples, which she does. Now, we're not told how the disciples react to her news, but we know the day draws to a close with them all together in some locked room somewhere, freaked out that the Jewish leaders are coming to get them as they did Jesus. But it's here, in this locked room, where we'll see, firstly, God sends Jesus. Secondly, that uh, who in turn, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and the apostles. And then finally, Jesus sends us too. So that's where we're going today. And uh, hopefully, the uh, PowerPoint will show us. Or not. But those are the three the three things that we're looking at. God, the Father, sends Jesus. Second, who in turn, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and the apostles. And then finally, he sends us too. So, first up. God the Father sends Jesus. This is a, a theme throughout the book of John. Uh, right from the start, we see he's with God the Father. He's the Word, we're told. Uh, the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. And he comes... Uh, into the world, comes in the flesh as the man Jesus. He comes from the Father, and time and time again he wants people to know this, that he's come from the Father to the world, and come for the world. And even when the world rejects him, all the spiritual, political, religious forces of evil seem to resoundingly stop him coming, stop him literally dead in his tracks by nailing him to a cross and putting him in a grave. Despite all that, he just keeps coming. So we read in verse 19, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came. Oh, cool. I got a new fancy pants one. Thanks, Cam. Jesus came. Clearly locked doors can't stop him. Uh, can't stop him coming. He either busts down the door or he just appears in the room. Either way, he comes. Verse 19 again. Uh, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. It's like, uh, I was imagining Rich just bam, and then chill out, fam. You know, there I am. Nothing is going to stop him coming, right? Not even death. 
as he then immediately proves. So verse 20, uh, we read, uh, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Jesus shows the sign of the cross and the grave on his hands and his side. He's almost mocking these things, the cross and the grave, as he stands there alive and well. Nothing can stop him. Nothing. Why? Because the Father sent him to save the world. That's why. As John tells us earlier in chapter 3, just after that famous verse that we all know, chapter verse 3.16, it's in verse 17, uh, John says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is God the Son, right? Sent by God the Father, sent to save the world. And he's coming, it's relentless. Nothing, not even death is going to stop him. As God's sent one, as God himself, Jesus just keeps coming and coming because he cannot be other than what he is. The Son sent from the Father. Uh, the Latin word for send, uh, you might know, is missio, right? It's where we get the word mission. Uh, mission Impossible, it's a film franchise based on a team of spies seeming, uh, sent to do seemingly impossible tasks. To be sent to do something is to be given a mission. Jesus' mission is being sent from the Father to the world to save it. How? Well, by making God known to the world. That's how. Jesus comes to suffer, die and rise from the dead. Not just to forgive the sins of anyone who believes in his sacrifice for them. Not just for that. He comes to make known the God who would do such an incredibly loving thing for them. To make known the God who is really there. Not the God that we might think or guess at, but the one true God who is love. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Oscar Wilde uh, once cleverly quipped this, and I think it's, be yourself, everyone else is taken. It's kind of funny, but it assumes that life is all about yourself and that it's to be taken. But the Father, that the Father sent the Son for the world, says the complete opposite, that life's about others and about giving sacrificially to them. That's, it's about love. That indeed God is love, precisely as the Father who sends the Son, who sends the Holy Spirit for us. Which brings us to our second point. As the Father sends Jesus, so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and the Apostles. So verse 20 again, we read, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The disciples' joy at seeing Jesus, it's totally understandable, right? Uh, but it seems Jesus is actually keen to move on. Uh, as much as he wants them to have peace, I think he wishes them peace just as much to get them to listen up to what he's about to say next. This is what he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, this is crucial for Jesus. 
the sent one from the Father, he's now sending his disciples, not to replace him, but to carry on his mission, which they can't do by themselves. They can't do it by themselves, not without God with them, which is why he says what he says next in verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, first, he breathed on them. Ooh. I'm pretty sure my wife loves me a lot, uh, but the last thing I want her doing is breathing on me. Or anyone, for that fact, breathing on me. Ever had anyone come and greet you by breathing on you? Wouldn't go down well, I don't think. Particularly in these post-COVID, or can I say that, post-COVID times, uh, the idea of breathing on someone, it's always been weird, all right, so don't do it. Uh, now, though, it just feels criminal. Don't breathe on someone. So why would Jesus breathe on his disciples? Well, maybe because he didn't. In the original Greek, there is no on them in the text. That's just a gloss uh, to try and link his breathing to what he goes on to say. It's probably better read that he just breathed. He just, he breathed. Which could be symbolic of what he goes on to say about the Holy Spirit, given that, the, that breath and spirit are the same word in, in the Greek. Or it could be that he noticeably and deliberately breathes out to emphasise the next thing he's about to say. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, does this mean the disciples receive the Holy Spirit there and then? Well, there's no indication of that. Later on, Jesus returns to the Father and he pours out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the disciples, full of the Spirit, go to preach up a storm from Je- about Jesus and about God's forgiveness in his name, but that's not yet. Jesus is just telling them what it means for him to be sending them. It's to receive the Holy Spirit. They'll need him, which he will send them, as he promised just before he died to help them proclaim the forgiveness of sins in his name. Verse 23. He goes on to say to them, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, everywhere in the Bible, it's clear that mere men cannot forgive sins. Of course they can't. Sin is something that is firstly done against God. It would be like Phoebe... Uh, punching Jamie and then me going to Phoebe and telling her that I forgive her for punching Jamie. Uh, That makes no sense at all because only Jamie can forgive Phoebe for the sin that she's done against him, right? Not that Phoebe would ever do that. (laughs) So only God can forgive sins which are against him. So Jesus can't be saying his disciples will be able to forgive people's sins. However, if Jesus is sending them the Holy Spirit, who he said earlier will remind them of everything that he taught and who would be with them and in them forever, then as they declare the forgiveness of sins made possible through God the Son's sacrifice and his resurrection from the dead, it's only going to be by the power of God the Holy Spirit in them reminding them. As such it'll actually be God speaking through them about his forgiveness in Jesus. Or not, if they reject what they say about him. As such, they're on the same mission the Father gave Jesus. As the Father sent Jesus, they are sent by Jesus. 
I was chatting with a uh, Malaysian guy about Jesus uh, yeah, recently, and as he struggled to understand uh, the gift of God's forgiveness in Jesus, I was struck afresh as I was talking to him, uh, told him that I didn't make this up, this this good news about Jesus. This this is, and I could actually say, in all honesty, this is from God, not me. This is what I was telling him that, that what I was telling him about Jesus, they were they were actually God's words, not mine. And that I could say this because God the Father sent God the Son, who sent God the Holy Spirit with the apostles, who spoke the very words of God, who wrote these words down in the Bible, which we have been passed on year after year, century after century, from country to one country to another, from one person to another to another to me, and now to him. That we might know God and be saved. As the Father sends Jesus to save the world, so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit with the apostles to save the world. Which brings us to our final point. Jesus sends us. It's interesting that as Jesus tells his disciples back then, I'm sending you. Firstly, he's assuming they're actually his to send. Right? They, they no longer belong to the world, they're his. And with that, something significant starts to happen with them. They're becoming something else. They're becoming apostles. The word apostle, you know what apostle means? Sent one. Yeah. And this is going to become what defines them, what makes them who they are. Before they're Salome's son or Mary's husband or James's brother or a fisherman or a tax collector or a tradesman, they're apostles. They're sent ones of Jesus. Jesus, the first and the best sent one, as he comes in flesh as a human being, indeed the best human being, more what humanity is meant to be. As such, being sent ones of the sent one, the apostles find their humanity. See that? And while we're not apostles, Like them, we find our humanity too in being sent ones. It's interesting to note uh, what Jesus prays for us the night before he dies. This is it, John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone, that is the apostles. He's with the, the, the twelve and he's praying to the Father and he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's us. It's remarkable. Jesus is praying for us. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, as sure as the sun comes up tomorrow, it's more sure that Jesus answers the The Father answers Jesus' prayers. Yeah? Jesus prays? It's yes. That means, as we believe in Jesus, through the Apostles' message, the Jesus, well, the message about Jesus, the Jesus that we see in the Bible, we are all one. One with each other and profoundly one in and with God. So that the world may believe in Jesus as he lives in us and speaks through us, as he sends us, famously saying elsewhere to us, Matthew chapter 28, go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus, the sent one, tells us to go. He sends us to make disciples. To make disciples, uh, people disciples by firstly baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That is, no less than pouring on them the knowledge of God revealed in Jesus. And secondly, to make people disciples by teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. Importantly, that they believe in him for God's forgiveness. And this is not only what Jesus wants us to do, as the sent one sending us to do this, this is actually what we're made to do. This is what it means to be human. To be like Jesus. Sent into the world to see people saved and know God. That's why we're here. It's a little bit like uh, Newton's cradle. It's the same energy from the Father who sends the Son, who sends the Spirit, who sends the Apostles, who sends us. And nothing can stop him coming through us. The world may hate us, might revile us, ignore us, mock us, even kill us, but Jesus will come to the world as we go and make disciples. So, you can get rid of that now. So if we're feeling directionless, like we're moving nowhere fast, maybe it's because we're ignoring the apostles in Scripture and resisting the Holy Spirit, sent from the Son, sent from the Father. Maybe we're resisting God, and we need to repent. We need to go with the gospel flow, hop back into the truly human slipstream of Jesus, and see ourselves firstly as little a apostles, as sent ones from Jesus sent into the world that people might believe and know God, sent to make disciples, and that to not do this, to not focus on this, to not identify as Jesus' sent ones, we're not just resisting God, we're denying our humanity. We're denying knowing any true direction or lasting satisfaction, and invariably we'll become less and less happy and less and less human. I've certainly been guilty of this and feeling the subsequent dissatisfaction. In a lot of ways, I feel a little bit of an imposter up here speaking to you on this, urging you to make God's mission your mission, to let him send you to put Jesus first and his mission first in your life, in your work, in your work life, in your study life, in your social life, in your money life, in your family life. Megs and I thought that we could have a bit of it uh, both ways this, this term. Lockie's soccer shifted from uh, my son, Lachlan, his soccer shifted from Saturday games to Sunday games and we thought we could manage getting him into games and getting to church. But he's had to miss church and when he hasn't, his head's been on his game or how he's going to get into it or get to the game more than on church and who he's, here, who he's there for and why. And in this, I think we failed him. As Jesus sent ones, we fail him. 
we've been sent to make him a disciple, to know God more and more and to teach him to obey everything Jesus commanded and instead we've confused him into thinking Jesus and his people are just another thing competing for his time and his attention rather than the people Jesus saved him to be on Jesus' mission with. How about you? What is it that you might be identifying more as than Jesus sent one? Maybe you're the doting parent or the diligent student or the dedicated worker or the team player or the thrill seeker. What does your calendar say? Does it reflect any interest in church things and events and reaching out to those who are not believers or is it already full up with holiday, social, sport, study, family, creative endeavours? Does your daily or weekly to-do list include talking to someone about Jesus or inviting them to Hope Explored or playgroup or English as a second language classes or Friday night youth or loving a neighbour for Jesus' sake? Are they on your to-do list? Are any of your personal notes or life hacks thoughts on ways to reach people for Jesus? Are you reading up on ways to be on mission? Or is that just too much like hard work, given the to-do list that you've already got that the world has enslaved you to? Yes, it might be uncomfortable and unsettling and personally taxing to always be on Jesus' mission, but that's actually to be like Jesus, which ultimately is the best thing for us. It's the human thing. At the recent uh, REACH conference that I went to, one of the speakers in talking about people getting on board with church and and, uh, Jesus' mission said something like this, don't bring your banana lounge onto our lifeboat. Church should be a lifeboat full of drowning people. It's not a place to bring your pina colada and have a nice, warm, cosy time. Church is a lifeboat full of drowning people and drowning people need help and they're often messy and noisy and distressed and we may be afraid that it'll get in the way of our life plans and that we're not up for the task, but so were the disciples. And yet Jesus sent them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Something that he says to us now as he sends us to make disciples. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Don't get drunk on wine or on any other escape. Don't get drunk on any distraction or activity in this world which leads to debauchery or reckless living, or drawing our identity from something or someone else in this world. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, it looks like doing church together. To start with, speaking God's word to each other, and in spiritual, in spiritual songs, and in our hearts, which we've been doing. And right now, I think being filled with the Spirit would look like confessing together our lukewarmness to God's mission. And then asking the Father to help us see who we truly are in Jesus, that we are first and foremost 
sent ones. And then pray for those Jesus is sending us to, to love them for Jesus' sake, so that they might ask after the hope that we have in Jesus. And I'm going to pray that that would be the case for us now. Almighty God and Father, it is humiliating to stand before you, knowing all the grace and goodness that you have poured upon us in Jesus, and to not care for your mission in the world, to find our identity in other things outside of Jesus and his mission, that we are sent one, sent by Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Please forgive us. Forgive our lukewarmness. Please don't spit us out of your mouth. Help us instead to be filled with the Spirit. To be full of a passion and a desire to be on your mission. The mission you started when you sent your Son, who sent your Spirit, who sent the Apostles, and who sends us to see the world saved and know you. And we pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.